13. And it reads, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is a duty of all mankind. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. I always appreciate this invitation, and I want to start by reiterating how much uh, I appreciated the messages that both Scott Gleaves and our brother Cecil May presented last week. They were incredibly meaningful, and I hope that our time together this morning will be the very same way. I want to start by asking you if you have ever had the experience of walking into a room, and no sooner have you gone into that room than you stop for a minute and you've gone to get something, you stop for a minute and you think, now why am I here? Has that ever happened to you? I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that it happened to me this very morning as I was getting ready. I was needing something from another room to finish getting ready, and so I walked into that room and I literally stopped and I thought, now why am I here? It does happen to all of us, and sometimes they're known as senior moments because they tend to occur more frequently as we grow older. But I think it's something we all have experienced and the truth is that what's happening is we're just getting distracted. Our minds are getting distracted for a moment, and all of a sudden we forget why we are there. But you know, the same thing can happen in our very lives, and that is we can forget why we are here. And that's a much more dangerous thing to forget, because if we forget the reason we are here, then that can indeed have eternal consequences. That's what I want us to talk about this morning is why am I here? You ask people in the world who have no love for God, no fear for God, no desire for God, and they will say, I'll tell you why you're here. You're here to make money, and the more money you make, the better. And you're here to have a big house, and the bigger the house, the better. And you're here to have the finest car you can. But you know, those people aren't really happy. If they were deadly honest, they would tell you, I'm not really happy. And so often when they come to the end of their life, they will say they were not happy. And oftentimes, too often, they even may check out of life along the way because what they thought would satisfy them did not satisfy them. So let me encourage you in this way. Don't make that mistake. Don't spend your life climbing the ladder of success only to get to the end of your life and realize that ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. It happens too often. This morning, I want us to consider why we are here. I'm going to give you four reasons, and I think they are four important reasons that will help you know that you are living the very best life in this world, and that you are going to be prepared to live the best life that will follow this one. And I want to encourage you to write them down and put them somewhere that you can see them often, maybe on your bathroom mirror, on the refrigerator, on your desk somewhere, because these four reasons are indeed important. Here's number one. Why are we here? Number one, we are here to know God. To know God. That is to say that at some point in all of our lives, we are to come to the place of knowing that there is a God. This life is not just about me and what I want. But there is a God, and that God is real. Many people never come to this realization. In fact, they think that those of us who do believe in God are foolish and that we're weak people, that we need some kind of a crutch. The Bible says don't be surprised. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, says it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 right near the end says that the natural man who has no regard for God, it says he doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. But then it says, nor can he receive them. He can't. Even if you wanted to, he couldn't. Why? Because the scripture goes on and says, because these things are spiritually discerned. They have to be understood through the eyes of faith. The Bible says that the belief in God coming to know God is where it all begins. This matter of why we are here. God's will is that everyone, first of all, come to a knowledge of God. Belief is where it all begins. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. How can we come to know God? How do we do it? Let me suggest to you three ways. Number one, look around. Look at his world. Psalm chapter 19 verses 1 through 3 say this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech, no language. In other words, nowhere in the world where their speech in their voice is not heard. It says that nature itself is declaring loudly that there is indeed a God. Consider the beauty of a rose. You suppose that's an accident? Consider the birds of the sky, the lilies of the field, how they grow. These things are not accidents. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says that for since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not obeying God. In other words... Even if we never had this book, the Bible says we have enough evidence in creation alone to know and be responsible for coming to believe and realize that there is indeed a God. Do you want to know God? Look at His world. Second, you want to know God? Study His Word. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and and hearing by the word of God. This book contains the mind of God and knowing it is essential to knowing him, who he is and how he thinks. Now this isn't a magic book, but it is a supernatural book because of who wrote it. Young people, I clearly remember the time in my life I could take you to the place where I was living, the very apartment. I could take you to the room. I could take you to the chair where I was sitting. After I graduated with my undergraduate degree and I started thinking, I've been taught this by my parents. My father is a preacher and I've heard this all my life. And I thought, but is this going to be real to me? And it was at that moment that I started studying for myself because I once heard someone say, God has no grandchildren We all have to become His children. We have to become His children on our own. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. You want to know God? Study His Word. And then a third way, and finally, if you want to know God, we've got to be still. We've got to be still. And that's one of the greatest challenges we face today. Because we're in such a hurry all the time. And it's hard to find time to be still. 
But God says in Psalm 26, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. Friends, if we are always in such a hurry, it's going to be hard for us to know God because God is not found in the loud. He's found in the quiet. God isn't found in the activity. He's found in the calm. He's found in the moments of reflection. And coming to know God requires a commitment of our time. You think about it, and we know that Jesus himself had a habit of spending time alone in solitude with his Father. And he had come from him. We must be willing to be still, be quiet, and be willing to spend those moments that we must to come to know God. Do you know the God who made you? Do you know the God who loves you beyond measure? Do you know the God who bought you? How do we know God made us? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. That's how we know God created us. How do we know that he loves us? John 3.16, would you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his only son, his only son, into this world to walk among us and to teach us how to live and to teach us how to die. And he died on the cross and paid the cost for our sins so that we would never face that eternal punishment that we couldn't possibly save ourselves from so that we could be reconciled to God and live forever with him. That's how we know that God loves us. How do we know that he bought us? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is why it grieves me to hear someone say, I can do whatever I want to. It's my body. No, it's not. You were bought with a price. It is not your body. It is not my body. It is God's body. What does it mean to glorify God in our body? The second suggestion I want to give you this morning about why we are here gets to that very fact. Not only are we here, first of all, to know God, but secondly, we are here to become Christ-like. Honoring God with our body is learning to act in the way that Christ himself acted. How do we become Christ-like? It starts by becoming a Christian. How do we become a Christian? We come to believe, first of all, as we've talked about, that there is a God that that God sent His only Son to this earth to die for us, to confess our belief in Jesus, that He is God's Son, and resigning our will for our life to His. Father, I am not capable of knowing how to direct my steps. I trust You. And then the Bible says, be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But becoming a Christian is not the end of becoming Christ-like. It is only the beginning because God wants us more and more and more as we live our lives to strive to become more and more like his son. D. 
Do you know what God's will is for your life? That's a question you hear a lot of people ask. They say, if I only knew what God's will was for my life. Well, let me tell you, he's told us. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 has his will for every one of us. And he says this, it is to be conformed, shaped, molded into the image of his son. To think the way Jesus thought. To speak the way he spoke to act the way he acted, to treat other people the way that he treated them so that when people meet us, they automatically meet him. I heard someone say one time after meeting someone, they said, you know, after I met him, I felt like I had been in the presence of Jesus. That's the goal. That is God's will for every one of us, that we become Christ-like so that people will automatically feel like they have met Jesus when they meet us. Why are we here? Number one, to know God. Number two, to become Christ-like. I want to give you two more. Number three, the third reason we are here is to be a servant. God doesn't just want us to come to know Him. He doesn't just want us to become like His Son, but He wants us to serve Him by serving others. And my goodness, what a wonderful way being a servant is to, to make us more Christ-like. You think about all the different ways that Christ served others. Jesus taught that if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must be the servant of all. Of the eight or nine authors that wrote the New Testament, did you know that four of them specifically identified themselves in their letters as servants? Paul, he says, a bond servant of Jesus. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I heard about a preacher going to speak one time and, and they said, how, how do you want to be introduced? And you know what he said? He said, just say that I am a servant of the Most High God. And that's it. Because we are called to be a servant. Why does God want us to be servants? I'll tell you why. Because God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. And he has no help but our help to bring them to his side. Jesus said that one of the criteria by which we will be judged on that last day will be the extent to which we have served others in this life. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 25, he said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And just a few verses later, he says, as much as you have done these things to the least of these, and he calls them his brethren, he said, you have done it unto me. Jesus considers our service to others in this world as if we are doing it to him directly himself. And of course, the greatest way we can teach others is by teaching them the gospel through the example of our lives as we strive to be Christ-like and building relationships with other people so that we can ultimately introduce them to the greatest person that ever lived on this earth. 
We can teach them to know God. We can teach them to become Christ-like. We can teach them the importance of living their lives as a servant of God and a servant of others. Friends, is it going to make a difference that you and I came this way? After we are gone, will this world be a better place because we were here? Will it make a difference? We need to be drawing people closer and closer and closer to God. As you go, make disciples. As you go. There is a sign at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. A sign on the outside of one of the buildings on campus. It's a a granite sign and it says, Life is for service. And I've heard of people whose lives have been changed by seeing that when they were there as, as students because they saw that every day as they passed by that building. Well, life is for service. Life is for service to God and service to others. We've talked so far about three reasons we are here. Do you remember what the first one is? We are here, first of all, to know God. Secondly, we are here to become Christ-like. Thirdly, we are here to be a servant. And I want to share one more with you. Fourthly and finally, why are we here? We're here to prepare for eternity. Listen, dear friends, we're getting ready to go be with God. This life, this whole life, is just preparation for eternity. Some people have a lot of years on this earth, and some have a few. But regardless of how long our time here is on this earth, in comparison to eternity, the Bible says it is just a vapor. How long is eternity? I'll never forget hearing an illustration by Brother George Bailey many, many years ago. And he said, you know what a hummingbird is. We know hummingbirds in this part of the country. He said, just imagine a a solid cube of granite, a mile high, a mile wide, and a mile long. And think about that little hummingbird just flapping its wings as fast as it could and trying to wear away that solid cube of granite a mile high, a mile wide, and a mile long. In the time it would take that little hummingbird to completely wear away that cube of granite, eternity will have just begun. This life is preparation for eternity. The Bible says, what does it profit a man? What are you going to gain if you gain the whole world? and lose your soul. That's surely why one of the saddest things in the world is to attend the funeral of someone who you know is not prepared, someone you know is lost, and the weeping and the wailing. And it's likely why one of the best, most joyous things to do is to attend the funeral of someone you know is prepared and you know where they are. I will never forget standing by the the casket of my cousin Brad. He had just graduated from high school and tragically drowned one Sunday morning. Uh, he, was, he loved horses and was training a horse in, in, in a, a person's lake and drowned. And my Aunt Sarah stood by me there at his casket and she said, Art, you know Brad knows things that we don't know now. And I think about that a lot because it's true. He does know things that we don't know now. That's why we must prepare ourselves to live for eternity. 
there was a godly, godly man uh, who was known and respected because he had come to know God. He had worked to become Christ-like throughout his life, and he sought to be a servant throughout his life. And when he died, someone said this about him. They said, he lived his entire life for that moment when he died. And that's the goal. We don't need to get caught up in the trappings of this life so that we forget that we're ultimately working to prepare for eternity. Friends, there is no more important thing to do. Because if we miss heaven, we've missed it all. Why are we here? We're here, first of all, to know God. We're here, secondly, to become Christ-like. Thirdly, we're here to be a servant. And fourthly, we're here to prepare for eternity. Let me ask you this morning, as I ask myself, if these four reasons were a checklist for living, which they are, by the way, because they're the most important things of all, but how would you consider yourself to be doing in each of these four areas? Can you say with confidence this morning, I know there is a God. The world may not believe it, but I know there is a God. I tell you what, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that the beauty of this world and the order of this world came about by some chance or some explosion than it does to believe the truth of what God says about it. Do you know there is a God? Are you working every day to become more and more like Christ? To think the way he thought, to act the way he acted, to talk to others the way he talked to them so that people can see him living in you and glorify him because of it? Are you living your life in the service of God and others, doing what you can to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world so that everyone you meet, when they meet you, they don't come in contact with you. They come in contact with Him. Remember what Paul said in Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. And are you doing the most important kind of service to others by drawing them to Jesus? And finally, are you living your life and working every day to prepare for eternity so at the end of our life, we can say like Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, therefore there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness in heaven which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. This life is just preparation for eternity. How are you doing? How are you doing in these four areas of your life? Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, you remember. He asked God for wisdom. God was so pleased with his request that he granted it to him. And he became the wisest man that ever lived. And he began trying to find the meaning of life. And he withheld nothing from himself. Do you remember his conclusion in chapter 12, the verse that was read before the lesson this morning? When he came to the end of life, he, he said, This is the conclusion of it all. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And the four things we have talked about this morning will help us to fear God and keep his commandments and fulfill the whole duty of man. As I said at the beginning, God forbid that any of us here spend our lives climbing the ladder of success according to the world's standards and come to the end of our life and realize that it has been leaning against the wrong wall.
let us keep these four goals in mind. Keep them before us so that we can remember truly why we are here. We do have an enemy who would like nothing more than for us to forget what we've talked about this morning. So put them somewhere you can see them often. This morning, I wonder about your life. I wonder if you know God. You know the beginning of knowing Him is becoming a Christian. Have you done that? Is there a point where you can look back in your life and say, yes, I made that commitment to the Lord years ago by doing the things that we've talked about earlier in our lesson. That's where it all begins. And for those of us who are here that do know we've done that at some point in the past, then the question for us this morning is this one. Have we allowed him to stay on the throne of our life? Because we know enough to know it will not work any other way. If you've taken him off the throne, aren't you tired this morning? With Christ, it's either all or it's nothing at all. If there is anything we can do to help strengthen your relationship with the Lord so that we can all be reunited someday in heaven together, we hope that you'll come. Let us know while we stand together and sing.